Lord, thank you for this special moment when your word is central to our experience in this service. Lord, we think of the days of um, the medieval church in Europe when there would be a chain-link screen across the front of the church. And uh, if that church had a Bible, Lord, there, the people would not have access to it. And um, how we thank you for the free access we have to the scriptures, and we ask you to loose them, make them you do what you and you alone can do, bring to bear uh, the purposes that you have designed your word uh, for. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, our Reformation text, uh, Chris, thank you for reading, uh, is there in Matthew 11. Uh, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. So uh, I'm going to talk a bit about that. Uh, why that is a uh, text for the Reformation. Title of today's sermon is God's Thoughts About Your Burden. I've written out a number of ideas there on the sermon page and some ideas about the gospel, um, and I hope to be covering that pretty clearly as we as the sermon unfolds. Um, think on this for a moment. I fresh from an experience in the medical world. Um, think about this. After a series of blood tests, the doctor is trying to figure out what's wrong with you. You are tired. Really tired. And uh, after these test results come in, the doctor says, well, these don't really help. Um, you know... You simply aren't getting enough rest. Uh, and if you don't start getting rest, you're going to kill yourself. And that's all I can say to you. Imagine that is the response to your, all the medical tests and all that happened. No pills. No change of diet. You need rest. Now, that's a physical thing, right? I mean, that is a physical Issue Our physical bodies, we are all pretty well in tune when you need rest. It's something, you go 18 hours, you go 20 hours without rest, um, you're aware of it. So we're pretty in tune, I think, with our bodies. Um, some of us are required in our work to just press on. You just press on. Just Yeah, you're tired. Well, keep going, all right? But... We know our physical bodies pretty well, I think, we, outside, what it looks like on the outside, but the inside, we don't know that well, unless you are a trained physician. And so what you do is, as I understand it, uh, I'm not trained in medicine, but as I understand it, you try to connect the symptoms with a potential disease, Right? So it's really important that we who go to the doctor know our symptoms well. It's like a car mechanic one time listening to a car mechanic, and they're, how, how, how do you know what's wrong with the car? And he, he said, well, you listen carefully to what the owner says. Uh, they've been driving it, so you ask for every little knock and problem, a little noise. And so we have to know our symptoms well um, in order for a cure to be proposed. 
Well, Jesus describes a symptom uh, in our text today. He describes a symptom. The symptom is weariness. The symptom is soul-level exhaustion. And uh, he bids his audience to come to him for that rest. And only in, only, only in him can that rest be found. And so he's describing the symptoms and he's giving the solution is coming to him. So let's explore this and take a look at this. It's, it's a very significant issue to have something that you're experiencing where you can't get rest. You can't get rest. Think about that. Jesus is coming, uh, says to those who are experiencing this, this lack of rest, he says, you must come to me. Our culture is experiencing a great deal of sleep fatigue. Um, the energy, energy drinks aren't working. Um, I notice in department stores that when it used to be kind of hard to find where, you, where to buy a mattress, level three back in the corner. Now mattresses are right at the entrance. It's interesting. You know, retired mall walkers. You know. um, there they are, though. And, now, and then in the mall, there's also, at least I just noticed this, that there's whole stores committed to sleep. Right? So sleep or rest deprivation is a, is a serious issue in, in our day. What is Jesus talking about? When he talks about being tired and being weary, what does, he, what does he mean? The English Standard Version says, Come to me all who labor, laboring, and are heavy laden. Laboring. Okay. So, is he just saying, well, you know, when you get tired, remember me, I'm available. Um, is that what he means? Uh, no, I don't think that's what he means. So, what is this weariness and this laboring? What's going on? And I have proposed already use the idea of soul-level weariness. Something will not go away. You can be physically tired, rest, and that physical tiredness goes away. But this is a different kind of tiredness. This is a different, it's a different something going on here. And I want to propose to you that there is a weariness that we can't solve unless we come to Christ. Now, what is that? It is an awareness that before God's law, we don't have what we must have. That's what I'm going to propose. That's the answer. And that is that our conscience is working overtime. We're, we're draining out the hard drive. And we can't fix the problem. No amount of energy toward the good life. No amount of energy toward distracting ourselves. No amount of energy is going to solve this problem. Before God's law, meaning the Ten Commandments, we can't get out from underneath this. 
Now, not everyone experiences this. In our co- the context of Matthew 11, just prior to that, Jesus has traveled through certain cities and performed great miracles there. And they folded their arms and said, we're not going to change. There was no repentance in those cities. So there was people, there, there were people who saw amazing things, mighty things from Jesus. But they didn't perceive their condition. They didn't understand their condition. Uh, and none of us want to understand our condition. This restlessness, this weariness will not go away unless we come to Christ. Now, it's Reformation Day. It's a great day. The Reformation is a rediscovery of the gospel where Luther, on one day in his life, today, this day we're celebrating really his posting of the 95 Theses because that's the, the calendar date. That's closest to our Sunday today. But Luther discovered in Romans chapter 1 that all his striving, all his listening to his church, all his, desire, all his earnestness to try to somehow meet God's standards would always be a failed effort. He discovered it would always be a failed effort. And as he discovered that, he also discovered Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God and that we live through or by another's righteousness. Someone else's law-keeping. Someone else's law-keeping is credited to us. And this produced a fire in him. It was a rediscovery of the gospel. He was weary and heavy laden. (laughs) He was laboring. Luther was terrified before the holiness of God. Now today, uh, in the church today, um, it would be best if we heard God's law more often. Because only by hearing the by hearing the law, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. Um, love your neighbors, uh, love your neighbors and love your enemies. Throw that in there as well. As you hear that, there should be a kind of a, a duck and kind of, you know. That, that might apply to this guy, but this applies to me too. Yeah. So the law has to do its job. The law has to do its job. Now today, though, the problem is that the church moves toward not that law, which would be really helpful, because someone might say, I can't do that. But the church tends to move toward soft law, meaning principles, Ideas to help your marriage, 
So the idea is that we're, we're just trying to improve our lives, getting biblical principles to, to improve your life, to get your life back on track. You're in debt. Oh, here, here's a proverb for you. So it's kind of soft law, right? Soft law. And we another way of putting that is called moralism. So it's like a, like a pep talk. You know, it's a pep talk, you know. And, uh, do better, do more. But the law comes along and it weighs us down with what ought to be. With what ought to be. So Luther was terrified by the holiness of God. Nothing his church told him was going to help him. He sincerely chased it all down and realized that the scriptures had to present to him a redeemer. Um, So the Bible, in a very important sense, is not a book of instructions. The Bible is a book that tells us of the announcement of what God has done for us. It's very, very important, very important. What is my Bible? Is it sort of principles of living? Right? Or is it the announcement, the law keeper, the the law fulfiller has arrived? Jesus. Oh, there's some relief. There's some relief. Now, one thought on Luther here. One thought on Luther. Luther observed in his own time what people did when their world would become shattered, like the, encroach, the encroachment of death. Luther, as a pastor, observed this, saw people, perhaps his own experience, he understood that, he understood it. And here's what, what happened. Here's what happens. Luther saw that it was extremely difficult for people to grasp the idea that Jesus has done it all. He just That's kind of vague, kind of out there. So what people, what we tend to do is we jump toward something that feels more active. So Luther called the righteousness that we get through Christ passive righteousness. Passive. Meaning it, or another way of putting it, alien righteousness. It comes from outside of us. Like, right? And that's like, how do I grab how do I get a hold of that, right? How do I get a hold of that? So Luther saw that when people were facing a crisis in their life, like death, the terror of it, what they saw in front of their, themselves, what they saw was just, well, do I have enough works? Do I have enough works to take me into the next, into, into judgment day? Do I have enough works? And, and they have a sense of their sinfulness. And they can just remember only their evil past life. My life has been a, uh, my life's been a waste. Oh, the things I've done. Oh, that. In other words, they're trying to prepare themselves for this uncertainty. Oh, my life. I, uh, so what do they cry out for? More time. 
and grant for more time. Now, this actually happened to me in a hospital visitation. Years ago, a man was dying of leukemia. And uh, there was ups and downs, and we thought maybe he'd, he would make it. And uh, one of the most beautiful, important uh, pastoral moments I've had was to hear this man did exactly what Luther had seen 500 years ago. Exactly. And he was talking to me and he said, Pastor, if I could just get off this, this hospital bed, I'd go build a hospital somewhere. Now, I'll tell you what I said to him. I said, if you were to build 400 hospitals with the rest of your life, you would still need Jesus to be your righteousness. That'll get a conversation going in the hospital there. This is Luther saw good works, good works, doing good things, as a tyranny, as evil, as brutal, as awful. And Jesus now looks, or he was looking to at the time, and says, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. This is not just from a a hard day at work. This is the deep soul burden. I know I can't stand before God the way I am now. And this thought never leaves me. This thought never leaves me. Now, there are, just speaking of human experience, there's people who don't, they they don't seem to have that thought. They don't seem to have it. They stay busy. They stay distracted. And again, Jesus, Matthew 5, 3, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who have this awareness of your spiritual poverty. Blessed are you who are aware that you don't have what you need before, before a holy God. Blessed was this medieval monk somewhere in that monastery in Germany on the day that he discovered that it's not about him attaining righteousness but receiving it. That's, that's, that's the gospel. That's it. Now, Jesus, so it's, it is such a fantastic passage because he, he says, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what's that rest? What's the rest? This is real rest. If Jesus is promising, it's real. It's the rest of knowing that you are secure through what he has done for you and who he is for you. You're secure. You can rest. And then there's the bid to to have one's life reorganized. Now, now you need to be rebuilt. Look at verse 29. Think of of this as the rebuilding of a life, reordering of a life. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. It's an illustration from farm animals. Take my ordering upon you. Your life needs to be reordered. You were against conformity to the will of God. Now you will love the conformity to the will of God. It's the goodness of the grace of Jesus 
that now works at the soul level. We are resting first. That's what I love about Sundays, Resurrection Sunday. Christ is done working. Christ is done working, and he wants to share that with us, so he gave us a whole day. That's what's going on here. It's, and you can always work tomorrow, which is Monday. You start off your week with rest. No, you, we rest We rest from the threat of God's law. We rest from any threat that would separate us from the love of God. This complete peace, this, this uh, take my yoke upon you is, is the reordering of a life based upon the safety and security that's in the gospel. You have the righteousness that you need. And Romans 3.20 says it is God's righteousness. Anyone want to argue with that? It's God's, it's, it's, the, it's the righteousness that God approves that's been given to us. It's Romans 3.20. And then Jesus says, learn of me. This is a, this is a call to be a disciple. Can you would would you follow someone who has addressed your greatest fear? Think about that. Someone is a, someone has spoken to your greatest fear. Deep deep soul level fear. Two o'clock in the morning in the hospital bed. Fear. Would you follow that person? Would you say, if you can address that, then you can address every aspect of my life. I am lowly, gentle. I am gentle and lowly of heart. I think this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus describes himself and his heart. Come on in. Come on in. We were born with natures that are suspicious of God. We inherited this from Adam we are born with natures that are suspicious of God's goodness. And this was the lie in the garden. Oh, Eve, let me tell you, the best life is being held from you. You can't trust this God. And so, remove, removing all fear, removing all fear, beginning the process of removing the suspicion we have toward God. Jesus has come. I want you to learn about my heart, gentle and lowly. The burdens we carry a burden that we carry is that the true self that we really are, the self we really are, the self we are aware of, the self we know about, that that self we know about, the inconsistent one, the unvarnished one. Yes, there's the Sunday morning one, the the real the real one, the inconsistent one, the the burden we carry without the Sunday smile is a sluggish heart that still has fear in it.
And we are pretty sure that if anyone really knew that self, the inconsistent one, that we would be rejected. Jesus looks in at our inconsistencies, deeply understands them, perceives them correctly, and still bids us to come to him, and he bids us to continually come to him. He bids us, he will bid us today, and he will bid us tomorrow. He is an ever-present priest for us. Hebrews 7 tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for those who are inconsistent, sluggish, stumbling forward, those who are just trying to figure out what this means to take his yoke upon him. It cannot be understood in an hour. He has a remarkable capacity to handle our radical inconsistencies. And we still have this sense that we have to do something to merit this, earn this, establish this. It's still in us. We are wired for law. That goes all the way back to the garden. We're not wired for gospel. It's counterintuitive. So the, the, our Bible, our New Testament in particular, has to drive this home to us. The same kind of spirit that took, took over in Luther's life. Driving it home. You mean I have to hear about justification again? Yes, you forgot it. Again, again, and again, you're loved. The New Testament does this in dozens of different ways. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith alone. What do we have? Peace with God. Oh, why does Paul have to tell the Romans that? Because they're not sure about it. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Why does John have to tell his audience that? They're not sure about it. He has a radical, excuse me, he, he draws us in to his capacity to handle our radical inconsistencies and he gives us the foundation of justification. I love the transition that happens in Romans. Romans 1, God is against us. Romans 1, 2, and 3, God is against us. Romans 8, which was our call to worship, if God is for us, What? What happened? Something just happened. If God is for us, then the question, the rhetorical question, who can be against us? Do you know that God is for you? Without regard to your works, without regard to your, that he is for you and in Jesus, you are beloved, accepted, justified and bound for glory. It doesn't feel that way, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't feel And this is, again, we get back to Luther's. Yeah, it's, just pa- it's passive righteousness. How do I get a hold of it? By faith. There it is. And we want it. We want to hold it. We want to, right? We want, we want to feel it. We want to sense it, right? And it is a wonderful thing to sense it. Psalm 73, I'll wrap up with this. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do you think that might be the experience of someone who comes to Christ and discovers him to be the one who gives them what they need? 
And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But listen to this line from Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. That's what what Jesus is talking about here. Come to me and learn. You, You arrived with a fearful heart, weighted down with failure. Weighted down with failure. By the way, that's a work of God's grace, by the way. That is the most, one of the most important parts that the law can do. It can bring to us a sense of, I can't do that. I, I, I don't want to do that. Oh God, change my heart. Have mercy upon me as a sinner. And now heaven's moving, right? moving toward us. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Jesus, we have now the rebuilding of our lives based upon justification by faith alone. The reordering of our lives, diminishing of our fears, casting them out. So, Remember, as you look out upon your world, there are many entry points and conversations you can have with people about who is Jesus, what is the gospel. And you may come across someone who has a guilty conscience. Sometimes it's hard to find someone like this, but you may come across someone and they'll wonder if there's a God in the universe who can love them. And tell them about this. Tell them about Jesus, the one here in Matthew 11. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's a depth to this passage that we've just just begun to look at. Um, We ask that you'd help us to... uh, not have a measured response to this. Um, help us to take upon our, ourselves the yoke of Jesus, the reordering of our lives. And, and thank you for your remarkable patience toward us. Rebuild us, Lord, uh, having given us, given us the, the peace that passes all understanding. Um, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.